What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the local podcast. I'm not sure why I keep telling you guys what episode it is, but in case you're keeping track, today is episode 31. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Jordan Hauser Digital. That is my video company here in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. If you and your company are in need of some video marketing content, you can check out greensburgvideo.com. There's a bunch of content up there for you guys to check out. And if you want to make a video with me, go ahead and hit that contact bar and shoot me a message. We'll plan something out and get you rolling. So check out greensburgvideo.com for all of your video and photography marketing needs. Or if you'd like to sponsor an episode of this very podcast, you can do so by reaching out to me at thelocal724.com and just head over to the contact page and fill out that form. So if you think your business is a good fit for the listeners of this show, go ahead and reach out at thelocal724.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a doozy of a show for you today. We are talking to Chad Taylor. He is the nurse that was on his way to New York City the last time we spoke. He was in his car. And uh, today... We have him in studio. He's back and telling us all about his experience dealing with the COVID-19 up there in the epicenter of New York City. So please help me welcome Chad Taylor. Welcome to the local 724 podcast in three, two, one. Chad Taylor, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Very well. I'm glad to actually have you in studio this time yeah. as opposed to uh, over the phone in the car on the way to New York. Yeah, much different uh, <laughs> different experience for sure. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little tough doing the uh, interviews via phone over, uh, you know, especially while you were in the car and things like that. Yeah, in the car I had didn't even have Bluetooth or anything, so it was like on a like a chunky, headset. like a Bluetooth speaker. I'm surprised <laughs> it came out at all. So, no, it was good. A lot of people liked your episode. And I think that there was a lot of just admiration in things for you for going up and, you know, doing what you were doing in New York. Um, if you want to give a recap for us, uh, what you were going to New York for, that would be awesome. And then we can talk about what you experienced there. I think that would be interesting. Okay. Um, so I'm a registered nurse. I've been a nurse for quite a while now. Um, and early on when everything started happening, um, you know, everybody remembers the horror stories, the nurses in garbage bags and, you know, things from New York. And, um, I mean, I, it literally caused me to have a hard time sleeping, thinking about the patients. Cause I, I'm a nurse, you know, it's really all about the patient when it comes down to it. But I, I, my heart just broke for those nurses and I wanted to do something. I wanted to go and help. I wanted to provide service, you know, to them to give relief. Um, and in addition to that, I also did a bunch of fundraising and, um, collection of items to donate. Um, and I got the most amazing, overwhelming, positive, great response to it. So I, I couldn't be more grateful. Um, and I was able to do, you know, a lot with that. And the, the difference between, I think, our last time and, and this time is actually having have been the, in New York, though. I mean, I was on this, you know, crusade or, you know, I was just on this high, like yeah. I wanted to do this. And then, you know, the, the things I saw and the stress that I went through and, and everything, you know, and I don't feel any differently about it, but um, it's. You know, my, my mood and my attitude are a lot different than the first time, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, probably not knowing what you were kind of up against. I mean, you had a, you probably had a really good idea of what you were up against, uh, you being a nurse and everything, but, you know, maybe not understanding it fully until you got there. Um, you know, it's, it's incredibly selfless what you did. And to go up there and, you know, put your life at risk. And then to, you know, fundraise and get all these supplies to take to people that, you know, you don't know or anything like that. And I think that, you know, the world as a whole <laughs> could learn a lot from people like you that, um, you know, would just care that much for people that, that you truly don't know. I think it's very awesome that you went and did that. What, uh, I think that's probably what everybody wants to know is what are, what are, what are some of the craziest things you saw there? 
Um, so, well, here's, let me preface that by saying the highest, like the highest death rate in New York City was April 7th. I arrived on April 8th. Mm-hmm. The entire time I was there was a constant, you know, roller coaster, but decline. Yeah. Um, the entire time. So when I got there, we were, the hospital was 450 beds of COVID. By the time I left, there was a half of a unit. So about 36 beds covid patients okay so the the difference in that amount of time that eight weeks um when i did get there i was one of the first uh i was the first group of traveling nurses that went mm-hmm. to that hospital um i think there was around 80 to 85 of us in the first wave wow first wave. they had three or four subsequent waves but they only did like one a week so as the deaths or as the cases and the hospitalizations started to decline we also had an influx of nurses. So by the time I left, my unit had gone COVID-free. We had a, a bunch of staff. Um, so even in the eight weeks, you know, the the rapid changes and, and how much, you know, how much everything changed during that time. Um, but I was, I was pretty uh, scarred, I think, from the first couple of weeks because I, yeah. on my particular unit that I was on as well, um, I was the first wave of nurse traveling nurses to go, but I was also the first nurse to be assigned to the unit that I was on. Oh, wow. So prior to me, they had had no backup help. They were telling me stories. Um, and it was, it was a weird unit. It was used for like uh, ER overflow observation, kind of a little bit of hodgepodge of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't really like a functioning hospital unit. It was kind of like this space that they had that yeah. they utilized for an auxiliary space of some sort. Yeah. So there was 18 beds on each side. There was 36 total. And the nurses told me, you know, before you came, we came in in the morning and they said, you have this side and you have this side, 18 patients. I mean, that's, I, I don't, oh. as a nurse, that is shocking. I mean, yeah. nothing I've ever experienced in my what's, life. What's the normal amount? Like say, you know, on you're a, at work on a normal day. How many, I guess, patients do you typically care for? On a normal day, non-COVID, I would say about four to five patients. Okay. And you get discharges and admissions. So that the amount yeah. of patients you take care of during a day would uh, fluctuate. A little fluctuate, But your assignment, you should only have four to five patients at a time. You had 18. So I never did have 18. But, okay. um, you know, they, these are the stories that the nurses that were there told me. Um, the most I ever had was nine. Um And again, as cases started to decline and nurses started to come in, that that did get better. We did get to what would be a normal ratio under normal circumstances. Under these circumstances, I think that, you know, it would have been more ideal to be lower than that. Sure. Yeah. You know, if we had the help, we would take it, you know, but um, yeah, the first couple of weeks, I mean, my... 37 minutes into my first shift and lost somebody. So, I mean, yeah, it, it just set the tone kind of for the whole rest of the time. For sure. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, man, I just got, I just got chills. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's hard to, to deal with. And, you know, I've known a lot of nurses Even throughout. As a nurse, it's yeah, hard. I'm sure. I mean, like I've known a, a lot of nurses like throughout my life and, you know, me, I'm always just like, Oh man, I don't know how you deal with, you know, getting to know people and then losing them. And, you know, I couldn't do it. Could not do it. It's not for me. Um, and, you know, it takes a certain type of person to be able to handle something like that. You know, thank God we have people like that in this world that can, like, you know, it's not just a job, like a nine to five. You punch in, punch out, and you're done. Yeah. You know, and you don't give a shit what you're doing while you're there. Certainly not. A job. Um, <laughs> so it's just like, you know, I can't really imagine what it would be like to to get into a place, hear all these stories, and then it's kind of like, all right, go for it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, so was it basically, it was, it was a big room, like a, a giant room with 36 beds? No, we, um, it was like an observation unit. So it okay. was like double, double beds. Oh, room. okay. Okay. So it, it kind of looked like a regular unit. It didn't look like a, an open curtain okay. ER or I anything like that. Um, it was more more like a regular unit, um, but everybody on that unit was COVID, and it, you have to have reverse isolation. So they had like 
these random, they took out the windows and had these like vents pushing wow. the air straight outside yeah. as opposed to recirculating it inside. And so it was all modified. You're stumbling over yeah. all of the gear, you know, and especially early on, the, the thing that's really difficult, that was really difficult was... Um, not only was I, I'm not an ICU nurse. I've never have been. I've never mm-hmm. worked in ICU. I'm a med surge telemetry nurse, which is lower level. So that's what kind of unit I was on. Mm-hmm. But we were getting patients that were waiting for a ventilator that needed one. We were getting patients that were, um, I don't know how to say it, denied a, a ventilator, not likely to survive. Yeah. We were in the process of talking to the family and saying, we need to save this ventilator for somebody who is more likely to survive. I mean, those yeah. are the conversations we were having. And that's tough. And those are the type of patients. You know, I, I had eight, nine ICU patients, mm-hmm. and I'm a med surge nurse. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> just watching just watching them decline, um, and I I never saw somebody go, and, you know, I, I, we were never, I've never seen that we were able to save one. Yeah. When they went, they went. And it was pretty Man. rapid. It's pretty wild. I, I mean, mean, it's I pretty can, bleak. I know I'm painting a really I mean, picture. But. but I mean, like, that's kind of what people, you know, want to know because, you know, it's it's really hard to get a true story from TV or mm-hmm. the media or anything because, like, you know, you've got one group of people uh, saying that, you know, it's not as bad there as everybody's saying it is, and then you've got a group of people that's saying it's literally like The Walking Dead there. And it's just like, what you know, while you're sitting, you know, Joe Schmo sitting in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, you know, you could be sitting there. I ran into a guy at the beginning of all of this. Let's just start with that. Um, I was at Walmart. It was like one of the first days that they said like, hey, you should be wearing masks. And I went in, had my mask on, and there was a guy there who was uh, stocking some shelves. He was like a bread, bread guy. And he literally like looked at me and was like, why are you wearing that? He's like, this is so stupid. This is this is fucking retarded, blah, blah, blah. And he's going on like saying all this stuff. Like, and I'm like, look, man, I'm just trying to like do my part. They said, wear a mask. I'm just, I'm trying to, you know, do my part. And, uh, he's like, man, he was like, what did he say? He said something like the death rate has only been only a hundred people in the entire world had died from this. And that it was like this big, uh, conspiracy theory and all of this shit. And I was just sitting there thinking like, man, I cannot believe that people, are so isolated from the rest of the world in their thinking that they could even believe something like that. Right. That's insane to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised because I, I thought that a lot of people would ask me when I came back, was it really that bad? Was it really this, you know, is this all media hype? And there certainly is a, a degree of it that's mm-hmm. you know, over, over sens- sensationalized and, and all of that. But I mean, I, nobody really, Asked me that. I think they they knew. I think that just the way I carry myself after this, yeah, compared to before, is different. I think that they don't need to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I hate to say it, and you know, a lot of people ask me how it was, but nobody. I haven't really talked to anybody about it. It's really hard to do. So, um, you know, just just remembering everything and. Um, oh, I lost track of what I was saying. That's all right, man. I mean, like, I can kind of tell that, you know, like, the between, before when we talked the first time, you know, we've only talked, like, twice. Mm-hmm. But in the, the first time, you you really had this, was, like, kind of pep in your step. You really, like, had, like, a really positive vibe in your voice. And, and now I can I can tell. This was, like, this was really hard on you, man. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was war zone level. Yeah. It was tough. Um, and it, it affected me a lot of the reason that I even did this in the first place. And, you know, just to shed some light on that, I mean, I've, I've been through a lot of rough things in my life and, mm-hmm. um, you know, PTSD level things. And I am fortunate enough to have, you know, a good support system and I have all the tools in place to cope with that. And right. I know how to cope with that where, um, so it was why I kind of thought that it was, I happened to be in the right kind of mix of person to go because yeah. I, I, I knew I could handle it and I can handle it, but mm-hmm. you know, it's still even six weeks apart from being there, you know, it's still difficult to, to talk about and process and everything and it will take time and um, you know, but 
I, I think the thing that really, and, and I said this on uh, the last time we spoke, and I've said this on Facebook, on my mm-hmm. fundraiser and all that, but to hear people, and I see it, I, I stopped to get gas on the way here, and I don't think anybody had a mask on. Yeah. And, you know, I tested positive for antibodies. I can't get it or transmit it at this mm-hmm. point, but I wear a mask because it's the right thing to do. Right. Beside everything that's going on, at at the core of it, you know, professionals and government and, you know, society is telling you that you need to wear that. And it's not for your protection so that you get it. It's so that you don't transmit it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So how I, I just, I feel like it's this, uh, like how, how could you be un, so unneighborly that you wouldn't wear a mask to protect right. your neighbor from getting it? Or why is it this, why are you getting information from somebody you went to high school with on Facebook. Absolutely. You know, go to the CDC website, read some of this, mm-hmm. talk to people. I mean, I'm, and, and that's why I'm here because I, I want to, you know, share the story and, and let people know that this could come here. Yeah, absolutely. New York was just the first wave and I don't even mean first wave. I just mean it was, it was one of the first cities to be that affected. And I think it will at some point go to all of these other cities. I, I literally don't think we've seen it yet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even, even, and I haven't really worked that much since I've been back. I've only worked, I've not even worked an eight hour shift total since I've, or, you know, at a time since I've been back. Yeah. Three days, I think. And even the people that I work with in the healthcare industry don't, don't, you know, give it as much. But I, I just don't want to see it. Yeah, come. I don't want to see it come to that in in my backyard. I guess. Sure, dude. I understand. It's 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 frustrating. Um, my sister in law. She she's a she's a nurse. Um, or she is a. Um, oh, she's gonna kill me. I'm not sure exact her title. It will come to my mind. Um, but she's volunteering outside of work, uh, to um, do testing and stuff down in Washington D.C. And she put a post up and uh, she had a mask on and like all of, you know, her face shield and all this stuff, double mask, all that. And, um, you know, so she put up this post and just said like, hey, you know, like you should wear a mask and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. So I put it up and I shared it and I just said like, yo, this is, you know, what my sister-in-law is doing and, you know, this is awesome and, you know, you should wear a mask. Like if a professional is asking you to do it, you should just listen and do it. And, uh, you know, even people that liked that post and commented on that post and said, oh, my God, we respect you. Thank you so much. Not even hours later, we're on this on Facebook doing the exact opposite. They literally were like, you're not going to tell me that I need to do this. (laughs) And it's like, wait a minute. Like, we're not trying to, like, to steal your guns. Okay, like, we're not trying to, like. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I, I, take your liberties away. It's 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 literally like how I look at it is, you know, put aside all the Republican and Democrat shit. Put all of that stuff aside. If wearing a mask could save your neighbor's life or a friend or somebody that you come in contact with walking down the street or, you know, in a store, if wearing a mask could save that person or yourself. Yeah, or yourself. Uh, you should just do it. Like, are you that, like, uh, irresponsible as, like, a fucking human? Are you, like, are you that shitty as a person? That, that's exactly That you right. won't even take the this minor inconvenience and try to help other people survive? Like... Even if you don't believe it. Right. I wear a mask and I... I tested positive for antibodies. I don't really need to because I can't. I mean, right. we don't know how it all works and, and all of that, but all the studies suggest that, you know, I can't spread it or obtain it. So, right. But I wear a mask because it's the right thing to do. Right. That, that's all it comes down to. That's And, I mean, you could get into all of the social uh, aspects of what's going on currently. It's just the right thing to do. You, it you, really is. You don't get to... In fact, your neighbor, you don't get to hate somebody because of their race. It's mm-hmm. just, you just don't get to do that. Right. You have to like be a good person. Absolutely. And that's what, that's what I'm not seeing. And right. that's, that's what's like really shitty about this whole thing. It's just like, you know, it's kind of funny. The president decided that he wasn't going to wear a mask. 
And then all of a sudden this turned into a Democrat versus Republican issue. And then just a week ago, here comes Mike Pence on the news saying that everyone should be wearing a mask. And then all of a sudden, you know, Donald Trump says, I'm all for masks. I think they're cool looking. You know, he had to put his spin on it, you know, to make it seem like he was kind of joking around about it. But in the article, he really did say people should be wearing masks. So where are you at? You know, if you're the guy who's so anti-mask, anti, you're stealing my shit, my liberties, all that stuff. Where are you at now? The, you know, the fearless leader has uh, jumped on the mask bandwagon. Well, yeah, it's confusing. It's confusing as a medical professional. Right? We get, I, I think we get far more conflicting and confusing and you know, we have to wade through all of the information that's thrown at us, you know, within the medical community yeah. as well, not to mention all of the, you know, crackpot theories that you see on people's <laughs> Facebook pages and, and all that. It is confusing. And, yeah. I, and I, I could see that and I could see how not getting a clear message from anybody would make it confusing and would make it uh, make you feel that you don't have to wear a mask or, mm-hmm. or you know, it, it's just, I think that even if, you end up being wrong about it. At least you did the right thing. Right. Yeah. At yeah. the end of the day. I mean, like that's a, that's a great way to look at it. I don't mind. Even if, you know, everybody's sitting there saying like, Oh, these don't help. They don't do anything, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I've heard a lot of medical professionals even saying that. And I'm just like, all right, whatever. But at the end of the day, I know that at least I know how I look at people that don't wear masks. So at least those people aren't looking at me saying this guy's a fucking asshole, like walking through Walmart with no mask, just like coughing and sneezing all over the place. Sometimes in my arms, sometimes not. It's just like, it's absurd to see people just being like just savage versions of themselves. And it's like, this is like, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. And it's, uh, we are judging each other by it. People are judging me for wearing a mask yeah. in public and I'm judging them for not wearing a mask in public. And it's, it, it just paints this picture of, you know, you, you say a lot about yourself without even having to say anything. Oh yeah, for sure. Based on your, your, your level of mask. Yeah. Um, I mean like I have friends and stuff, uh, you know, and people I see on Facebook all the time of like, you know, they're so against wearing the mask that to be ironic and like to make a statement, they wear these big bulky fucking gas masks and stuff to the <laughs> store. I'm like, go for it. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Hell yeah. If you're wearing it, wear it. I don't care. You want to look like an asshole? Go for it. Like, <laughs> do your thing. Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I mean, if the thing's on your face, I'm happy. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's just crazy. I think the separation and division and stuff that this whole thing has kind of created between like political parties. Is is just like the craziest thing in the world. You know what I mean? Um, as far as like supplies and stuff, did you guys have like you know enough PPE? Did you guys have enough of that stuff? I never went without. I'll say that um, yeah. we did. We did have to wear the gear longer than it was intended to be worn. Mm-hmm. And um, the fortunate thing, especially about the N95 masks, which are you know you the most important part of the PPE that you wear. Um, we kept running out of them. So every time we got a new mask, we had to be, you had to go down and get fit tested and the mask that you wore for the fit test, you got to keep. So uh, it was almost kind of fortunate because we were going through so many of them that mm-hmm. you got one like every week. Plus you, I mean, they asked us to um, only get a new one every week on the floor too. So you, know, you got two a week and you kind of, I just, I had, little bags that were numbered and I would rotate through them. I had six or seven masks, so I had enough for about a week. And so I only wore a mask, you know, I didn't wear it again for another week. So I had time to dry out and, you know, let it doesn't stay on surfaces more than 72 hours. So, um, the, the gear was available. If if something happened to your mask, Mm -hmm. um, there was, I had an incident where one of the new masks that we got, um, it, it was one of the, the, best ones for filtration but it was really restrictive and i actually got like really lightheaded and and sick they almost took me to the er and i had to switch back to my old mask yeah um so you know they gave me a new mask obviously for that if something you were able to get it but it wasn't it wasn't freely available 
Yeah. You had to kind of uh, explain yourself for it, but it's not like it was withheld or anything. Right. That's wild. Overused. So what I guess would have been the typical, uh, like wear, like how long, how long do you typically wear a mask like that? Like how long should you do that? Should be single use every time you go in a room and come out. Oh, I know. And we've had in the past, you know, even in my experiences here years ago, if you had somebody in negative isolation, you could wear the mask, you put in a paper bag and wear the mask for that day. Okay. Um, put it on and off as you went in and out of the room. If you had that patient, you were signed, you are going to be going in there many times. So I have seen that before because they are expensive. I mean, yeah. you can buy them at home. You used to be able to buy them at Home Depot. Right, yeah. <laughs> You'll um, never see those at Home yeah, Depot I mean, ever again. Yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were quite pricey. So, I mean, I can understand conserving and, and all of that because of that. But, um, you know, to, to wear a mask for a, a week in between, you know, in theory, they're... Mm-hmm. They were asking us to wear a mask every day for, I mean, I guess it wasn't seven days. It was four day. Uh, I had four 12 hour shifts. So, you know, but to wear that same mask for four 12 hour shifts, it would be, yeah, it would be particles by the end of the second day, I would imagine. Wow. I mean, how did you, how did, how did you deal with that mentally? I mean, like me, I know. So you're in like the epicenter of all of this. And there were a few times like I freaked out like my anxiety and and all I was doing was just sitting in my house like you know what I mean like I didn't get to the level of like even seeing anything happening around me or anything but it was my anxiety enough that kind of like you know freaked me out and like I didn't want to go anywhere and I didn't want people coming into my house I didn't want to go to other people's houses and things and it just like it was freaking me out. Like my mom came to give me a hug at one point and I was like, yeah, stand back. I was just, and she was like, you know, that was, that was tough to say. It was weird. Yeah. But like, how did your, what was your thought process? I guess whenever you're like putting this mask back on your face. Um, to add a little bit to that though, your anxiety and everything, you know, this was still going on before I left. There was about a month before mm-hmm. I actually got to New York and working in the healthcare field, you know, we had patients that were being tested or positive or what have you. And I honestly think that the stress level here, the anxiety was much higher because it, it was, you know, it's impending doom. Yeah. It was kind coming. of like unknowing and the shock of getting there and it, it being reality mm-hmm. as opposed to impending yeah. reality. Yeah. I, I don't think I explain this well whenever I try to, but um, just going from everybody on my unit has it and uh, the not the way, I don't want to say they were nonchalant about it, but you know, it was just the reality of it was everybody has it. So it was, yeah, we're, we're kind of past that anxiety phase mm-hmm. um, and to go from one to the other so rapidly too was, was difficult. Yeah. Um, as far as wearing the mask, though, I mean, what, what you were getting to get back, what you were asking me, I'm sorry. Uh, That's all right. I go off on tangents all the time. <laughs> wearing all that gear, the, the one nice thing, I guess, was that we were all COVID. Everybody was confirmed COVID positive. So um, other than your gloves, we wore the gear. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really only took it off for when you went on break. Um, you just wore it constantly. You could wear it from room to room because you don't have to worry about spreading it from patient to patient. If everybody's positive, it's more yeah. about protecting yourself. Um, as as the cases declined, and then we eventually, because of our proximity to the OR, long story, we ended up going COVID-free unit. They had to be tested no- negative to be on our unit for the last three weeks that I was there. Um, so to go from one to the other was really difficult as well. Mm-hmm. And we still wore the gear, even though we were a negative unit, we still wore the, but you had to change between every patient. So, I mean, it was, that was a lot. And you kept your mask. We had to wear a mask with an, you had to wear a second mask over top of your mask and you would change that mask. So you'd wear an N95 yeah. with a thir- surgical mask over top of it and change your surgical mask, change your gown, wash your hands, re- you know, re-glove, re-gown, all that. Man. That's yeah. I mean, that's insane. Just and the the so that took so much time. Um, this is all time that takes away from the time you get to spend with a patient. And nobody speaks English in New York City. I didn't. That was one thing that 
I was kind of surprised about too. So the amount of the amount of time between the two, given that you have an overwhelming assignment too, and it really just led you to feel like you couldn't, you weren't the nurse that you could be or want to be or should be, or you know, you just felt, you know, set up to fail. Yeah. Um, from from the get go, you know, there just there wasn't. There was no opportunity to be a good nurse to these patients. Mm-hmm. And you had somebody, you know, kind of crashing, and that was that was your priority for the moment. And yeah, you know, there were times when I had two people crashing, and you had to be with one, and you know, your your coworker was taking care of the other one. I mean, it's just happening mm-hmm. so so rapidly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like to get back to like the ventilator situation, like. You know, we kind of heard that on the news. It was like a thing where, you know, you guys would have to uh, kind of pick and choose, like, or triage people, you know, uh, based on, right. you know, their ability to survive or not. You know, like, you obviously would help the person that is going to survive or could survive. Um, how did, being, you know, uh, a nurse in a normal situation that, you know, you help everybody that is, you know, sick or dying. How does it, how do you get into that mindset where you're like, basically, you know, saying like, okay, well, you know, we got to move on. Um, yeah, you, you don't, you don't, yeah. you don't get there ever. You know, it's, it's hard. Fortunately, you know, I did not have to make those choices. That was, you know, by the physicians and residents and mm-hmm. practitioners and PAs. And, you know, it was up to them to kind of have those conversations and make those calls. So yeah. I feel fortunate that I'm, I wasn't on, you know, that pay grade, but yeah. um, it, my sister-in-law's a PA by this time. Uh, the PA. <laughs> you got me. I was just like, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah I mean, really, there's nothing I could say is you don't, you don't get used to it. No matter how mm-hmm. many times you've lost a patient as a nurse, it never gets easy ever. Right. I've been a nurse for 110 years. It feels like and, <laughs> uh, it's never easy. It's, you, yeah. you know, um, and then in these circumstances too, when you, you have that professional level of guilt, like I, you know, if I would have been able to spend more time with this patient, would they have crashed? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just a horrible, I, 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 I had dreams coming back that I wasn't able to help my patients. And that's, I haven't had that since, you know, the first maybe six months of being a nurse yeah. when you feel, you know, when you're just drowning and right, yeah. you don't you're know nervous. what's going on, you know, so to, to have that feeling again, what, 12, 13 years into your career is, you know, quite challenging as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as far as, you know, seeing any kind of a cure or vaccine or anything like that or anything that you guys were doing there in New York, like, is there any kind of medication that they were trying to help the patients with? Like, we were doing the trials with the Plaquenil. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, we stopped the trial, so I guess that tells you the answer to that. Right. Um, you know, I, I was not involved in the study, obviously, so I can't speak to it, but um, I think that some of the things I saw were related to it. Um, as opposed, you know, as opposed to a respiratory illness, mm-hmm. it was stroke, heart attack symptoms that I saw, Yeah, um, which have been associated with that. So, you know, that's all I can really say about that. Um, we did a little bit of the convalescent plasma. We did a study with that. I was mm-hmm. able to, um, you know, and again, I don't know what the results of, of that were. were um, uh, but no, I've never not really seen anything that was a silver bullet. Yeah. I don't know that there's a vaccine that's going to be a silver silver bullet. I don't know that, you know, even if there is a vaccine that it will have the, uh, you know, long-term effects that we, we have the the staying power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like the flu, you have to get a flu shot every year because the flu, you know, that particular virus mutates so rapidly that the virus from last year, you know, you have an immunity to it, but it's a cousin of that virus. So mm-hmm. you have to get a new, um, 
new vaccine with coronavirus, it doesn't really work that way, but your body doesn't remember, doesn't have that antibody response for a full year. So you mm. still are going to have to get a booster every year. So it's going to be more like a flu season is from, from the things that I read. That's what I expect to see. Yeah. It's going to, it, you know, it's going to become ubiquitous. It's going to be uh, um, everywhere. Um, and you will, you know, it'll, it will eventually just hopefully turn into a, a flu season. Um, and with, with that too, you know, the, hopefully the virus weakens over time too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that ultimately going to be the, the end game. Yeah. Uh, my prediction. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's hope. Yeah. I mean, as far as everyone like, you know, comparing it to the flu and stuff like that, like numbers and all of that stuff, like what, what is your take on that? Um, I, it's easy to make comparisons to flu um, as as an explanation or as a comparison, um, but I mean it, it obviously is very different than the flu and the way it works and um, its potent you know, mortality, mm-hmm. everything. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's just using the flu as a comparison is not. It, it's just to paint the picture or to explain, explain it more than anything else. I don't think it, um, I don't know. I hope, I hope it doesn't become as erratic as the flu. Cause that could be. Yeah. Too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you were there, I mean, we we're definitely getting the vibe that you saw a lot of bad stuff, Yeah, but did you, were there some triumph stories that, you know, like, did you guys save some people? Did you send some people home? Yeah, we, we did. And I was on a med surge unit, so we got a lot of, um, you know, I had a lot of really sick patients, but, you know, especially as time went on, um, you know, they became less and less sick. Mm-hmm. So you got to, to meet a lot of people. It was one, one thing that is kind of crazy is, I I thought of it while I was there. I was trying to think of the silver lining, but I I did get to experience New York in a way that most you know, nobody's going to New York right now. So yeah. you you could see it on in in the news or on videos of people filming it or whatever, but to actually be there and to see Manhattan as a ghost town was insane. That's crazy, right? At seven o'clock you wouldn't believe the I mean and it was it was adorable. Like the first place that I stayed, I had to stay in two different places just because of logistics. But um, the first place I stayed um, was a very Jewish neighborhood. But at seven p.m., all the kids would come out with their noisemakers. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like New Year's every night, it, wow. and that was like the only time they got to like do anything, yeah. make any noise. I mean, everybody lives in a small apartment in New York, so right. you're cooped up. You can't do anything. So you got to get out there and shake it off. Yeah, and I mean, it it literally brought tears to my eyes the first. You know, well, the, the entire time it was touching. Yeah. Um, but one of those times I happened to be in Manhattan. So it was a ghost town. Nobody was around. And you could hear this raucous and you, you just didn't know, like, where, where's that coming from? It was just the most yeah. surreal experience. Um, and to, to go back to your question, um, I was fortunate enough to have been able to raise, like, Almost ten thousand dollars. I mean, pretty pretty close to ten thousand dollars. Dude, that's fantastic. I ended up having to get a storage unit. Um, I had family bring. I took my car load of stuff there, and mm-hmm. I had a family member um, bring everything else to a storage unit. And then on my day off, I would go up to my storage unit, fill my car back up, and bring more stuff in. Um, so that was one of the highlights with my coworkers. Like they always knew that when when Chad was working, there would be there was always a bag of goodies and they got in the, the good break shit. room. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I bought, I bought like several thousand dollars worth of like cookies and, and cupcakes and stuff like that for mm-hmm. like the entire hospital. Um, and I did a lot of that um, anonymously because I, one thing I didn't think of when I got there too was I didn't want anybody to, I didn't, I didn't want anybody to treat me differently on the floor. Like right. I, as a sign, like I didn't want to, I didn't want anybody to say, oh, he got a good assignment because he right. brought he brought pizza last week or, or whatever. Like I, did, I didn't want that. So I did most of it without, yeah, without saying anything. Like they didn't even know where it came from. And, um, I got to send a lot of, with that money, I found a, a place, um, that would send, you know, hospitals could, um, healthcare workers could request meals from a, re- a certain restaurant or something like that. Um, 
and then you could just go and, and pay for it to be delivered to them. So I got to do a lot of that. I like, hit most of the hospitals in my area. So that's awesome. Those, those are the parts, you know, and that's what I went there for. And that, you know, ultimately that's what I will take away. All of this other stuff will, will settle in time. Um, yeah. And, you know, I will only remember those, those good things, but um, yeah, I mean, they, those were really the only, only things I have to hang on to from that. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm like, it, it's insane to, to hear that like, you know, I even know somebody that would do something this insane, like this just awesome. And so like, uh, ambitious. I, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, as far as, you know, those are the, the positive things that you remember all the negative stuff. I know we talked about your brother the last time that, uh, we spoke and stuff like that. Have, you know, have you been able to talk to him and, and he's a, he's a soldier, right? Yeah. He's a Marine. So you guys, you know, you guys have something to, to talk back and forth about and, you know, talking with him probably would, uh, definitely help you chill out a little bit about the experience, I guess. That's my guess. Yeah. Um, he, everybody in my family has been incredibly supportive and Mm -hmm. listen and, and all that. But, um, you know, he has a unique perspective because he understands what it's like to be kind of, and I don't want to call it a war zone. It wasn't, it wasn't a war zone, but you know, to be in a, a stressful situation Mm -hmm. of, of that magnitude. Um, so, you know, he was able to, Provide perspective and, and yeah. help with all that, I guess. That's good. I mean, like, I know you, you probably don't want to, you know, make the comparison, but, I mean, I'll go ahead and do it. It, to me, I, I received a video from somebody uh, anonymously um, that worked at a hospital in New York, and I saw the video, and what I saw was that there is not enough storage for the people that did get sick and passed away. So I did see that video. Um, to me, that looks like a fucking war zone. That I can just being watching that video, my wife couldn't watch more than seven seconds of it. She literally turned around and cried and turned her head away. I sat and I watched it and I just like sat and I couldn't believe it. It's only a minute long. And I was just like, what the hell is happening? So, you know, for that guy in Walmart to sit there and say, why the hell are you wearing that mask? You look stupid, blah, blah, blah. You're all, all you're doing is just scaring people. And it's like, nah, dude, you know, like I can't sit there and show the guy the video because I don't want this anonymous person to lose their job. I don't want mm. anything like that to happen. So it's just like, there are, there are people who are just completely and utterly clueless. And, you know, that type of negative, um, it's the anti-support, whatever the hell you would want to call that, you know, is, is really what is kind of hurting this whole, the whole fight, you know, against this, but, uh, well, and they're the ones that are going to bring it on us too, which mm -hmm. is really coming from where I'm coming from, coming back home and seeing people not doing what yeah. they should and knowing what could happen, what could come of that uh, is you know, particularly uh, what's the word for that? Uh, angering. Yeah. Okay. Angering. I mean, like it's a slap in the face, yeah. I would say uh, to the healthcare professionals, especially people who are out on the front line, there's different, you know, um, types of healthcare. And obviously, I mean, like you've got all kinds of different things, but you know, the people who are out there in the ICU, in the emergency rooms who are taking care of people, this is a humongous slap in the face to them for people that are like walking around and just like strolling on into Walmart and they're just like, oh yeah, I have asthma, I can't wear a mask. And, you know, or people wearing their mask in and immediately taking it off once they, they pass the door. It's like, man, come on. You can't be inconvenienced for like, what, you know, f- the five 10 minutes that you're in the store getting something, right. you know, it's an, it's annoying to me. And until, until I, I, I think that some of those people are just going to have to put a body in the cooler before they. Sure. Absolutely. They see it. They, they understand. Yeah. I mean, when it hits close you, to you home, don't want to do that. It's yeah. Sorry. 
I mean, it's scary. I mean, my, uh, my sister had to get tested, uh, just last week because, you know, she is a counselor and she goes around and she has to make home visits. And, uh, you know, there's a certain level of, uh, a certain tier of client that she has to, can't do telehealth. She has to actually meet these people in person. And, uh, I'm giving a real bad job description for my (laughs) sister, you know, it's, um, but she does have to go to certain people's houses and, uh, you know, somehow, some way they had figured out that she could have been exposed to it. And, you know, this was just over the, the holiday weekend that, you know, my sister calls and like she got tested last week and then her anxiety was making her go crazy. She was just like, I don't know. What if I'm sick? What if I'm sick? Like that was heart wrenching mm-hmm. because like, you know, me, and my wife and my mom and my dad are like kind of sitting in my house and my sister's not there. My nieces aren't there. And I'm just like, man, this is like, what if she has this now? She has COPD also. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, well, if this is a respiratory thing, like this could, this could really, really fuck scary. some shit up, yeah. you know? And, um, so luckily she got her test uh, results back. She does not have it. Um, and everything is back to good, but man, that alone was scary enough for me to like, you know, I'll wear this mask wherever I have to. If that's, that's what I got to do. If I got to sit in my house, I sit in my house, you know, it is what it is. Everyone's bitching and crying about the bars not being open. And it's just like, I understand. I love to go and drink. I love to go hang out at bars and stuff. That's, it's a wonderful (laughs) time, but I will tell you, I have never made a wonderful decision when I've been drunk, <laughs> it's like, you know, so if I'm getting too close to people or bumping into people at the bar and stuff like that, I mean, yeah, it kind of makes sense, you know? I mean, and this is coming from a guy who loves to do that. So I just had this conversation um, with you know somebody as well. The things that you don't even think about that have changed the ramifications of all of this politically, socially, economically, mm-hmm. um, you know, people working from home. I know people that never thought that they were going to ever do their job from home that are now being told, like, you're not coming back to the office or closing yeah. the office, uh, going to the bar. And, you know, even thinking further out, you know, telling your grandkids, you know, we used to go to, your favorite artists used to come to your city and 50,000 people would go sit in a stadium right, and watch yeah. them. You know, they're, that's something, the things that we don't even think about or um, know that are going to be affected by this or have yet to see yeah. how this I mean, affects. You have no idea what, you know, the future holds and things. I mean, that would be nuts for mm-hmm. this to be like a thing that, you know, is not normal anymore. Like, you know, going to, to go into a concert or something like that. It's, it's just wild. But I mean, like, as far as like people working from home and things, I mean, I definitely, I mean, we're already starting to see, you know, Twitter, and in other big companies who are just like, Hey, if you want to work from home, work from home, it's, you're able to do it. The silver lining that I see, uh, you know, just being like a business guy and stuff like that is that now we were forced into a, basically a a trial of will working from home be possible. Mm -hmm. And now everybody knows that it is. And it's like, well, all right. So maybe these guys can work from home. If they, you know, uh, have a a plumber coming to fix their house on Wednesday morning, do they really have to take vacation time or can they work from home that day? It's a lot easier. I think a lot of people are going to be happier with their jobs and things just because... Right, another another fringe benefit. Yeah, I mean, it's wild. I'd hate to say that, like, you know, this brought any kind of uh, positive you know, thing to the world, but it did provide us with some like strange, uh, you know, like you said, like fringe benefit of just like kind of, you know, well, you know what, this is kind of like the silver lining and that humans are wired for that shit. I mean, we always have to look for like, Mm -hmm. okay, this sucks, but you know, it did kind of give me this perspective or something like that. That's just kind of how we're, how we're wired to think, I think. But, uh, so did you have anything that uh, anything else that you wanted to share? Did you wanted to get into? I don't want to. I don't want to cross any boundaries. Well, no. I, I mean, it. Uh, book. Yeah, it just 
you know, as far as I just want, I think people to know that it is very real. Um, you know, I was privy to that video that I talked about and I showed it to a few of my friends. Um, not everybody that I talked to and I'll sit and I'll listen to people sit there and like, say like, you know, it's a conspiracy theory. This isn't real. Blah, blah, blah. The government just wants to control you, take away your liberties, turn this into like some like fucking new world order, like <laughs> Illuminati shit. And I'm just like, I shake my head and I'm just like, man, I have a video in my pocket right now that literally would make you cry. Like just be a human, yeah. you know, it's, it's a burden to, to actually have the proof or, or to know yeah. the truth, you know, yeah. because you see these people. Dude, the way I feel watching this video, I I can't describe it. Like, I, I feel, like, dirty. Like, I, like, am, like, ugh. Like, I don't want to see From the this. video. Right, imagine. from the video. So I can't even imagine what it was like to be in that environment for eight weeks. Like, eight weeks straight of just, like... You know, and and you're you're a very positive guy. Like I, I get that from you. So like, were you when when you had a day off or something? When you had to go back, well, like what was your feeling on like, oh god, I got to start like another four twelve here? Um, yeah, it was. I had a very small hotel room and my days off. And it's funny because I can prove it with my step tracker. Mm-hmm. My days off. Some of the days I had like 124 steps. I mean, that's like to your bathroom in a small hotel and back. Yeah. And, and I think maybe because uh, I had to get Uber Eats or, or whatever, I had to have delivery. So they would drop it off and I'd have to go down to the front desk to get it. Yeah. And I was, li- I mean, I literally was down the entire day. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't even know how I came across it, but something on my phone like alerted me to, to steps or something. And you can actually go through and look at the dates and tell what days I was at work and what days I was not. Yeah. Because the days that I was not was... Like nothing. That's wild. I mean, it just took, it, it took so much more out of me than I ever thought it would have. And to say one more thing about, you were talking about the video with the cooler, um, you know, that isn't even something that's on like my processing radar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that nurses as a whole, especially me, we are very adaptable. So I was thrown into this, this place, this horrible situation. And, you know, you just kind of hit the ground running, thrown to the wolves. And, you know, we adjust so quick that, that really didn't even, wasn't even something that I, I was ready to like talk about or anything. I almost, I don't want to say forgotten about it, but wasn't on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just so much that we process, I guess, as a nurse. There's so much that we carry um, that we don't even know um, that kind of opened my eyes to, to that as well. Um, and in the way you described it as I would call that a, a war zone, having to put a body mm-hmm. in a cooler. There was a, one of the managers of the unit um, the funeral home showed up to pick up a body and ask for, you know, he had a fairly common name, I would say, uh, let's just say John Smith. So he asked for John Smith. And so he came down. He's like, what do you, what, what do you need me for? And he's like, oh no, it's a patient. And the moment, you know, he, I talked to the manager about it the moment that he saw a body laying there with the same name as him. Mm. And that's what they were coming to get. It was just a, a wow. communication error. Um, but having that surreal moment, I mean, yeah. I mean, that kind of makes you just like, you know, like th- this could happen to anybody. This mm-hmm. could happen to me. Right. It, it you know? humanizes it. It really does. Man. Yeah. It just, you know, it's something that, you know, I just kind of have been like, you know, I was real cautious in the beginning and everything. And, and we are still very cautious. Like we're, we don't, really go out at all. Like, uh, since that we've slipped into the green phase, uh, me and my wife have been to, I think two places. Um, and we're very just kind of like keeping the kids, you know, still at home. Like if I go to the store to get stuff, they don't come with us. Um, you know, I think we've taken them maybe two or three times, uh, since this whole thing started time as a whole has just like been yeah. insane. Like it was March. It was St. Patrick's day. And here we are in July and I'm like, 
where in the hell did all this time go? Like, yeah. it was just so crazy to think like, oh man, are we going to be in quarantine, you know, for my birthday? My birthday was in June and we, we were, and oh. I was just like, whoa, this is nuts. Like we had a, we had a cruise that we were supposed to go on in May and, you know, back in March, we're sitting there thinking like, ah, we'll yeah. be good. We'll be good. No, May came and went, it was gone. And like, it just, uh, you know, it really makes you think. And like, I really, I had to take a little bit of a break from, you know, social, social media just because, you know, there were people that I'm friends with and people that I respect and things like that, seeing things that are complete opposite of how I feel. And it was just like, whoa. It kind of opened my eyes. That's another silver lining that I'll talk about. It really opened my eyes to who people are, who, you know, who are in my tribe and who aren't, right. you know. And it's not necessarily like, hey, if, if you, you know, if you think that wearing a mask is, is worthless, it doesn't actually mean that, like, you and I can't ever be friends or anything like that. It's just that we have a difference of opinion. And, you know, if you come walking up to me and say, like, hey, man, give me a hug. <laughs> you're not going to get a yes out of me. I'm going to be like, yeah, no, you know, like stand back. But, uh, you know, relationships and stuff, they're going to change. You know, I oh, mean, yeah. like even you walking up here, you know, normally I greet you at the door, I give you a handshake and I'm just like, Hey man, how's it going? What's up? And it, it's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been to some business meetings, uh, since, you know, we've gone into the green phase and like handshakes are definitely kind of like, right. yeah, it's like, nah, I do this thing where I kind of like, I got to put my hands together. Like I'm like praying and I kind of like bow at you and nod my head. That's like my, my hello, goodbye. And thank you. That's like all of it. But, uh, yeah, man, it, uh, it's just wild. You know, when I heard your story, my wife actually brought your whole story to my attention, like back uh, before we talked the first time and I was just like, you know, reading up on what you were doing and stuff. And I was just like, man, this is like the coolest fucking thing ever. And like it, it gave me a lot of hope, I think for, I guess just like society as a whole, just like, you know, like there are people who instead of succumbing to the doom and gloom and their anxieties and things like that, you know, these people are going to step up and, and help us. Like that's what society needed. You know what I mean? Well, it goes back to the quote from Fred Rogers. um, You always look for the people helping. There will always be people helping. And you know that, Mm -hmm. I guess my family, my upbringing, that's, you know, I want to, I want to be that person at the end of the day. I want to be the one helping. I want to be the one out there making whatever difference I can, how effective, what, you know, how much I changed anybody's lives. I have no idea, but, uh, you know, I didn't sit on my couch and, and not that there's any obligation by anybody to, right. to do that. But I mean, I, I, I have comfort knowing that I did what I could do. Yeah, dude. And you did, you did change lives. You impacted people's lives positively, even just from the people that you worked with on shift, they knew that, you know, you would bring something that would brighten their day, whether it was like a cookie or a cupcake or like you know, some pizza, anything like that, or just like paid off a tab at a restaurant or something like that. It's incredible. You, you probably have no idea how much you impact people positively. I think that, you know, that part is probably unknown and probably will be unknown, but, uh, yeah, man, anything else that you wanted to share? We definitely went a little longer. (laughs) I said, no, it's good. This, I knew that this one was going to be longer. I just said on the last podcast, Hey, we're keeping these a little bit short, but this one was the one that I was like, I was leaving and my wife was like, this one's not going to be a half an hour. And I was like, fuck no, this one could be two. But, um, yeah, it's just like, you know, I just, uh, for me, my family, my group of friends, all that stuff, like, the people that I love, respect, uh, the people that are in my tribe, like I said, uh, dude, thank you. Just from me, from all of them. I appreciate that. Absolutely, dude. I really hope that this gets easier for you. I, like I said, I can tell, I can tell the difference from the first time we talked to now, but, uh, yeah, dude, thanks for everything. Yeah, no problem. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you. All right. There he goes. 
This episode was very different from all of the other episodes that I've done. Um, this one really was uh, somewhat like emotional. It was very touching. I mean, Chad is such a selfless guy. I mean, like, not only did he go up there and help and put his life in direct danger, um, but he also took supplies and he took money and all kinds of things to make his peers' lives easier. You know, his the people that he was going up there to relieve, he took money and food and he really made their lives easier. He made them smile, you know, every single day. And, uh, you know, that is an incredible thing, especially when you're in a position where your life is pretty grim. Like he said, this was, you know, one of the worst things that he'd ever seen. So... Along with this post on Facebook, you can see some pictures that I asked Chad to send me uh, from his experience there in New York. It's really cool just to see what he had done when he was up there and the supplies that he took and donated to the nurses up there. So you can check those out on this post as well. Again, thank you, Chad, for being on the show. I had a, a great time talking to you. It was very informative. I hope it was informative. Uh, for the audience, and uh, he did say after the show that he is not done. He's not done supporting the nurses up there, so keep an eye out for some kind of other fundraiser going on to help with the uh, the nurses up there in New York or maybe somewhere else that is in need. So thank you guys for checking this episode out. I appreciate you all. Um, like I said, be a decent human being, wear a mask. Thank you guys for checking out this episode. Please give it a share, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>